Graham Leonard, GNS Principal Scientist, is back with us. Kia ora, Graham. Kia ora, Kim. Good you, morning. You have just recently taken over as the Natural Hazards and Risk Team Leader. Yeah, theme leader. So oh, sci- theme leader. Yeah. I thought I'd written that. I thought I'd written that wrong. <laughs> My wife wondered the same thing. Did she? It, yeah, it's about. How is that s- marriage, by the way? It's going well. Good to hear. Carry on. It was a very interesting interview, though. Uh huh. A lot to think about. Uh, mm-hmm. Look, it, it, I've taken over some science leadership across our hazard and risk programs. So it's across GeoNet, the National Seismic Hazard Model programs, like. The ones we have researching Auckland and Topo Volcanoes and, and our landslide uh, warning and forecasting. And it's, it's brought me into a lot of contact with other agencies and people and places where we're, we're dealing with the consequences of our decisions about where we choose to build and live and how we do that and, and then what the consequences from that are really. I see the, um, the director of the Resilience National Science Challenge, Dr. Richard Smith, says natural hazard events are inevitable, but there's no such thing as a natural disaster. Whether a hazard becomes a disaster is up to us, which is a clever way of putting it, right? It's, it's a very clever way of building it, of, of, of putting it. <laughs> it. It really does come down to two things, where we choose to build and how we choose to build, and then once we're there, what we're doing to deal with the risk that we've effectively accepted once we've chosen to build in that place. We, we tend to assume we can insure and, and pay for our losses when things get destroyed and that warnings will always be effective. But I guess you and I talked previously last time about tsunami and how hard it is to have really widely effective tsunami warnings. You know, mm-hmm. the, the res- residue of people who we see are just not evacuating or evacuating fast enough. So we can't be transferring all of our risk to warnings. And there are huge other consequences that come from building somewhere and then just accepting the damage, basically taking a single-use kind of disposable building idea that, all right, we're going to get hit by disasters, we're going to have to knock everything down or it's going to be destroyed, and then we we build it again. We just can't afford to be doing that anymore. I remember walking up Mount Etna and seeing, you know, which regularly sends out lava flows, and seeing restaurants and houses up there and thinking, why? Why are these people here? And maybe that's the answer, that they built so cheaply that it didn't matter? Look, there are really good reasons for why we chose to settle a long time ago uh, and throughout history in places. And it's often about access to resources, you know, good ports, good places for growing things. Volcanic soils are great for growing things, great for orchards. That's one of the, re- you know, the strong reasons to have orchards and agriculture around Etna in Sicily. Uh, access to rivers transport but the key the, the thing is if we just keep if we keep building and densifying in those areas and with intensified technologies as well our exposure is going up and up and up and our losses in these events is going up with it so what's the answer then well the the answer is in a myriad of places it's really about making decisions across all all levels. So we'd hope that legislation and councils and developers would do it anyway and on our behalf. And all those levels have a responsibility to make decisions. But at the end of the day, it's also our individual choices. We, we need to change our thinking about where we're choosing to build our own houses or buy our own houses, as well as, uh, I guess, 
asking for the best possible decisions across the community and across across the country. The the losses we're seeing are are staggering. The Cyclone Gabrielle losses are already at about fifteen or sixteen billion and climbing. Yeah, but it's pointed out I mean I think Doctor Smith, whom I quoted earlier, pointed it out, the floods which afflicted Auckland earlier this year, Auckland and other places. Yes. Could their impact could have been mitigated if lessons had been implemented from previous floods. So we are unable or unwilling to learn from experience, or is it that we keep on fooling ourselves that it's still a 100-year flood? Both of those things are true. You're, you're, you're right on the nose. So we, we do keep doing the same thing in the same place, and... And you're right, it's getting worse. You know, in the face of climate change, we're going to see more frequent and stronger events, floods, landslides, coastal erosion, uh, and it's going to be in different places as well. So things that used to happen every 50, 100, 150 years might be every 10 years or, or even more frequent now. So it's getting worse from that point of view. From an earthquake point of view, for example, uh, throughout the North Island, the Wellington area, along the Alpine Fault, those faults are stressing up. The chance of an earthquake as well is, is going up too. So we are, we're getting more people, we're getting denser building, and we're doing it in the same, in the same way, in the same places, but with the chances going up and, and the amount of money, the amount of building we've got on the line going up and up with it. And we just can't afford it. We can't afford the losses we're seeing now with the cyclone. The Christchurch earthquake was a $40 billion loss. Uh, we've recently done some work with other agencies for the National Emergency Management Agency for their uh, catastrophic planning program. If we see the, when we see the the large East Coast uh, earthquake and tsunami from the Hikarangi subduction zone that we talked about uh, last time on tsunami, we calculate the the loss from that will be over one hundred and forty billion dollars just for the buildings. That's not even the infrastructure cost, let alone the lives that. Um, that may well be lost. You know, we know with that response to warnings being hard to get 100%, the, the loss of lives will be huge as well if we stay living and building in exactly the same places in the same way. There are so many troublesome areas in New Zealand, though, what with our earthquake risk and yes. then the volcanoes and then the flooding. It's, it's pretty hard to be risk-free. Oh, it's, we can't get away from the risk. I mean, we can see it in the landscapes. New Zealand... Is, is only above the water. We've talked about this before. Mm. We're, our 5% of the continent, continent Maui, is only be, above the water because the plate boundary is right here. It's pushing the continent in this little bit out of the water and it's erupting volcanoes here, creating the land. But this is happening elsewhere. I do quite a bit of work in Japan and Japan is in the same situation. It's right on a plate boundary. It's an island nation. It's a developed nation. But we have, we have an amazing opportunity. We're two-thirds the size of Japan. We've got 4% of the population. We're 170th in the, in the world in population density by the table I looked at out of 200 nations. So we're, we, we have, compared to how many people and buildings we have, we have a lot of space. Um, so we're, we're actually in one of the best global positions. You know, if we can't do it, who can? And, and maybe let's be the leader on this. And it's not about saying no to building. I mean, we need to build. We know we're in a housing crisis at the moment and a cost of living crisis. So if we want to be as prosperous as possible 
it's not about not building. It's about building for sure, and, and, but doing it in the right places, making the smartest, best possible decisions so we don't regret our decisions in 10 or 20 or 30 years. It's places, but also the way we built. Exactly. Yep. The way we so we have we have kind of four options, and we don't want to forget the the most important ones at the top of the tree. So where we build is right at the top of the tree, and then how we build that engineering and the things we build around it. You know, there is a place for things like stop banks. Uh, the, the the way we engineer a building, whether we we raise the floor level up really high in relation to flooding, whether we build tsunami vertical evacuation buildings so we can we can get up if we're not near hills. Then once we've decided where we're building and how we're engineering, then we're kind of accepting the remaining risk. So we often assume insurance is going to pay for it. And that's another issue. We're seeing uh, with increased losses and climate change forcing hazards and risks to get worse and worse, insurance companies are increasingly expecting us across the world and in New Zealand to make uh, reduction decisions, making better decisions about where and how we build because insurance is getting more and more expensive, as you can see. And, and we're seeing in some places in the world it's, it's not possible anymore to get insurance. So we can't necessarily just assume insurance is going to pay for it. And we, as we talked about a few minutes ago, we can't assume warnings are going to save all of the lives. So it's about building, engineering, and then just a residual with insurance and warnings, not transferring everything to insurance and warnings up front. This takes, a, seems to me, quite some strong central government intervention to call the shots rather than leaving it up to individuals and saying, well, you took the risk, so it's on you. Uh, Are you confident that that might be the case going forward? I think this is about all of us, all of Aotearoa New Zealand, coming together at all levels. So people at all levels knowing and making better decisions around that, that risk reduction especially when they choose where to build or buy or develop, or as you say, give permission for developments. So I think I said right at the beginning, we would hope legislation and councils and developers would do that on our behalf, but there's also that personal choice. We have a a kind of a once in a generation opportunity at the moment too, because we do have major pieces of legislation and guidance being reviewed right now. We are looking at the Resource Management Act. We have an emergency management bill with changes in it in front of us. In my area, the science behind supplying information to make the best possible decisions, that science system is in review. So we have a real opportunity now to coordinate and make that system better across that legislative end of things. And then there's a role down at councils, definitely a role at developers and community level. But at at the end of the day, we're driving those decisions by choices on which new houses we build or buy or, or old houses we choose to buy, existing houses in, in places where that demand is. So we all have to come together for this problem for the country. We just can't afford not to. No, although you say choose to buy. Yes. I mean, let me put it to you that there are some houses um, that are affordable to some people simply because... They live in a high-risk area. Nobody else wants to live there because it might be flooded. But if you haven't got much money, you haven't got much of a choice, so you'll buy that house and you'll get into trouble. Who's to blame there? That's that's a complicated issue, and, and it's a really important one. I, I, coming back to that point around the need to build, you know, the, the, the affordability crisis we're in, is at the crux of that those decisions about picking you know poor construction old places or even a not good places so uh, we really do need to build you know we we need to build a lot more houses uh, to get that affordable affordability done so this is about 
picking the right places to densify and the right places to build uh, new new buildings, new houses, so that we can uh, be as prosperous as possible in the right places. I mean, it seems to me that we're 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 currently seeing mad decisions made by local bodies allowing developments on the coastline, for example. I, that's just a question of money, is it? Yeah, I mean, the, that access to resource includes where you want to live in terms of your recreation and what you can see. So coastlines are um, highly desirable, and you're right. We're seeing decisions uh, on floodplains, at coastlines, uh, er, you know, areas that are going to be exposed to coastal erosion from sea level rise, from tsunami. Uh, from flooding behind them on those floodplains. And we are seeing places being built on, you know, in the worst cases, places we've seen uh, floods. You, you would have seen images in the news in recent months, you know, floods hitting places and, and destroying houses where we've seen the same in- images decades ago in the same place and, and from landslides too. So that's, that's definitely happening. We're, we're seeing densification and, and replacement of housing and new housing in the worst places, often where we've seen it before. And, th- and those are probably the places we could start with right now. We have a lot of information as a country. It's not about a lack of information. There's a lot of information already in place, that we, especially those worst places you were talking about. We can be making decisions now. But we need to be bringing that together and looking at that collectively. A, a, good, a good place to look, for example, Tokotuaki EQC, uh, our board, as our national disaster risk insurer, they're, uh, they're recognizing insurance is going to get more expensive and there's a demand for risk reduction and they're moving into that area. They've opened up a natural hazard portal on their website that shows where the past claims against EQC have been so you can make more informed decisions. And they're, they're looking to grow the information there around hazards and places throughout the country. And many local councils on their web pages have portals that show the different hazards in different areas. So the information's there. We need to get better at bringing it together for each decision and and making it part of the discussion about any development. Thank you, Graham. Graham Leonard, GNS Principal Scientist and the Natural Hazards and Risk Theme Leader at GNS.